0: On this week's episode, we do legends with Iron Man Hall of Famer, Dave Scott. This is the We Do Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the we Do Podcast. I am your host, Billy Price. The We Do Podcast is brought to you by Gray Tech. Let's see what we can do together. Gray Tech is available anywhere you download your apps or go to graytech.com for more information. You heard me right, guys. I get to talk to one of my idols this week. None other than Iron Man Hall of Famer Dave Scott. That's right, six-time winner of the Ironman World Championship in Kona, Dave Scott. He was the first ever to go under 10 hours, 9 hours, and then 8 hours and 30 minutes in Kona. Not only did he win six times, he had second on three other occasions and at the age of 42 years old, crossed the finish line in fifth place. I was pleased enough to get an hour of Dave Scott's time. So over the next two weeks, we're going to divide that conversation and have you guys listen in on some of the cool stuff that's going on with Dave Scott. So without further ado, I give you part one of the interview with Dave Scott. Coach, how are you doing today?
1: <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll back up a little bit. It's been a bit a rough year, I yes. think, a rough year for you know not just the athletic realm but the really the world and you know there's are certain areas that have thrived if you're in the liquor business or <laughs> or bicycles they've done well but uh yeah it's been it's been a very difficult year yes uh, i i travel a lot and, and travel usually is to a camp or a clinic or talk and so those <clears throat> those went down to zero and um and just trying to sort of reformulate my business model which we can get into but yeah, yeah it's it's been a challenging year so here we are but you know I'm still duly optimistic.
0: Yeah. Well um when you decided to start um, going from competing to coaching how did you make that transition was it difficult?
1: Well I don't think I ever made the transition actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, initially when I uh, started out I was teaching kids and I was teaching kids in swimming and I was a young teenager and I seemed to have a knack for it. I, I I was always given the kids that were difficult, Yeah. difficult personality wise, challenging wise, you know, their mothers were glad that they could get get rid of them for a half hour and, and have a swim lesson. So I, I kind of took that to heart and I, and I seemed to have a, the patience um, to work with those kids. And I always liked the teaching coaching part. So throughout my athletic days as a triathlete, I, I still was, Ah, uh, coaching. I still was teaching, it. and initially, when I first fell into the sport, I, you know, there was no name for it, and I didn't think it was going to be a profession. So I, I thought <laughs> I better keep my fingers. And in, it, really, really, my ultimate passion is, and it's never really changed. Even my, at my senior age now, I, I love to teach and coach pe- people. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were just chatting briefly before we got on the air that that coaching part disseminating information or dissecting people's programs or biomechanics or understanding their nutritional issues i i never tire of it yeah uh, I, I enjoy other things and elements of my life <laughs> and I, I don't just read about triathletes and books that i select but uh, yeah it's still uh it, it's it's been in transition for a long time, but the transition has overlapped my athletic career. So it, it, when I recognize that I'm no longer a professional athlete and I can't compete with the top, then uh, the coaching took a a bigger role. But I'll say as an advisor, that coaching is somewhat segments me. And I think anyone else that maybe offers other expertise, and I'm not trying to make it lofty by any means, but I I enjoy giving advice.
0: Yeah. Well, um, making that transition as a coach, the the joy that you get from watching somebody cross the finish line, does it compare to the joy that you get when you cross the finish line back in the day?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I about wet my pants when uh, Chrissy Wellington was racing. I was coaching her and and advising Craig Alexander and Mm -hmm. Rachel Joyce and, and then my uh, middle child, Drew, he ended up doing Ironman, and and um, you know I was just nervous and anxious, and I was a wreck. Uh, <laughs> it, it was you know, I couldn't control it like an athlete. Yes. Uh, some, on the on the <laughs> exterior, I was calm as a <laughs> cucumber, but inside, I was a, a hurricane. So what I would see my athletes do well, not just the very best ones, but the the amateurs that I've coached over the years, and you know they have a successful day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have great joy in that. Does it parallel my wins and and my career? Mm-hmm. Well, in some ways it does, but it's you know it's a, it's a different feeling. Right. And um, you know I think when you're coaching, I, I'm I, I'm not mandating what they're doing. There's collaboration. Yeah. And bringing up Chrissy when I first started coaching her, she, she was already good. Same with Craig Alexander. Yeah. But, and I would say this if she was on the air with us, she had some really bad flaws and you know, here, here as a world champion, I'm thinking, well, I can make her better. Yeah. But I better not muck her up, but <laughs> um, uh, let's see what, let's see what we can work on. So that is in part collaboration also skewing her to my methodology you know you you always Mm -hmm. want to go to athletes and you look at the best athletes what works for them and if as a coach or another competitor if you're myopic to what your fellow competitors are doing and you may not believe in it but it's good to look at it and analyze it Mm -hmm. so that analysis is really important i took her schedule I liked certain components of it. I disliked a lot of them. <laughs> we wiggled it a little bit, and uh, and she did, you know, fortunately did did better. So getting back to your question, it, that's a, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. But I, I, you know, I still take great joy in in working with athletes. I'm not coaching the top pros anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm uh, more with the broad spectrum with amateurs, and and like. Coaching part, which we can get into, is uh, is a little bit different defined than what I have done in the last thirty odd years. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I I've crossed a few finish lines, nowhere near the amount of you have, but I, I do get a lot of <laughs> a lot of joy when you see somebody who's you know had a good day and finished and, and feels good about it. That's a that's it's a special feeling.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the I might just add a side note, Billy. I think a lot of athletes that are certainly gravitate to this sport are type a they're they're highly driven already and mm-hmm. sometimes that can be a curse uh I, i've always asked athletes even on the worst day and i've had athletes that have had you know on on paper they've failed yeah and certainly in their mindset you know it was, it was a shocking day and a lot of them are very despondent about it and i always ask the athletes. In reflection what did you do well Mm -hmm. and most of them are taken back by that and and when i asked that question i want them to dissect every component of particularly the last 24 hours leading up to the race the Mm -hmm. race morning their meal their warm-up their you know first 400 meters on the swim you know we start breaking it down and then they recognize that there were elements where things were flowing and that kind of flow feeling that Calmness and easiness obviously permeates your mind, and the athlete will recognize that, even though they might have faltered on the run or somewhere on the bike, and and, and therefore the time that they wanted to do or the placing or whatever didn't play out, there, there's still a lot of positive in that, mm-hmm. and and so quite often coming back to your first question, when I see an athlete have an extraordinary day, it's easy to pat them on the back, but when they have an off day, to be able to come back to them. And not not try to mollify, you know, maybe how they feel, Mm -hmm. but to recognize that there were uh, favorable moments in that performance. Mm -hmm. And they really need to kind of look look at those and and then work off those as well. So I I think it's kind of paramount as a coach or teacher that, you know, we collectively recognize that. and, And you see... Quite the opposite, at least on the surface in a lot of other sports where the coach is just going ballistic because mm-hmm. an athlete didn't perform. And I'm, I'm a real basketball nut. And there's some coaches, not not as many now, you see them at the collegiate level more than certainly the pro level, where they degrade and berate their athlete. And and I just feel like it's completely wrong. Mm-hmm. The athlete wants to perform well and to drive them into a, a hole because they didn't pass the ball properly or missed whatever, uh, I think just it, it certainly doesn't instill confidence.
0: No, and and my my daughter plays volleyball um, competitively, and a lot of times the coaches there like to go ballistic, and you and, and you you just wonder: Are you getting the best out of your athlete? <laughs>
1: exactly exactly
0: probably not and you know i I tell my folks um that i i coach that the journey up to the race is where the work is the race is the reward for the work you know i I think i've read that somewhere but i
1: I, (laughs) well stated yeah
0: yeah well um you uh, do you still train now because you know i've i've read about you and i know you're volume junkie are you still getting out there and, and doing your thing
1: well, uh, yeah, maybe the, the, the last point, the volume junkie, I'm, I'll kind of hang on that one just for a minute Okay, for, for health reasons. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I still train. I'm still pretty uh, crazed about training because it, it actually con- controls my emotional and mental yes. outlook and that kind of creates this, you know, a satiety level within me where I've elevated that morphine like endorphins that, say hey i feel okay about life and mm-hmm. and you know this pandemic has been a, a brutal time yes for a lot of us including myself and, it, and it's like a roller coaster so yes i do train uh i sometimes miss a day and actually i missed uh, a tuesday entirely just because of work-related things but mm-hmm. i usually do a little bit every day and and it took me a long time ability really, to get to this point i uh kind of wrestled with uh, de- really heavy levels of depression even when I was six time really? world champion yeah throughout the 80s and 90s it was all or nothing if i wanted to perform and and have a training day that said x and needed to go this far this fast and i couldn't do it at that level i would end up procrastinating and, and get down and get down on myself. And if I had a 80 minute run and I could only do 40 minutes, that wasn't good enough. And I wouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to, you know, any kind of abusive behavior yeah. where people go over the top and, and mine was full throttle or no throttle. Mm-hmm. And it, it nearly destroyed me at times when I was even able to rally and by the time October came around, and seemingly on paper, well, Dave's got you one one that yeah. Ironman, again. and you know, you just mess get up in the morning and just train like a crazy dog, and mm-hmm. and just do it every day. <laughs> but I, I I struggled mentally, and and um, it took me a long time to say this, and and I, and I think it's important for your listeners to recognize that we're all fallible. We we all have issues, and. You know you can't be on top of that mountain all the time. And one of the things coming back to your part of your question is is I finally got to the resolve that a little bit goes a heck of a long way. Yes. <laughs> and, and I've had a steadfast rule. I said, even on the days where I cannot do anything, and I always say, twenty minutes do I have this twenty minute rule, mm-hmm. Can you just have twenty minutes? And then the most difficult thing, you know, people have the running shoes or looking at them or thinking about running. They got the running shorts on. They're almost out the door and they procrastinate some more. They go back to do some more emails, What are they're doing. And I just say, just get out there, you know, start walking. Yeah. Don't worry. about Pace, take off your metrics, your whatever device you have on your wrist and, and just go out and do it. And, and quite often, if you've allocated 20 minutes and that's all you have, by the time you get to about fifteen, you say, "Oh, wow, I feel decent." Let's go a little you, more. <laughs> you can't let that go. You know uh-huh. the harmony that you feel. You're fighting this negativity, and, and I found this a lot with athletes. I found it with myself that I wasn't good enough uh, when I would go into this this uh, psychological demise in this cocoon. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't want to see anyone, and you know, people would ask me to do a podcast, and and I, you know, at times I'd say okay, but I. I was ripped up inside. Wow. So your question, I have kind of broadened it. I'll, let me, I'll maybe come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's What's fine. Yeah, I, I train and uh, I, I try to ride uh, five days a week if I can. Okay. Uh, I enjoy riding outside because it gives me that higher endorphin lift as opposed to indoor mm-hmm. cycling. I sort of hobble on a run. Uh, I actually ran the day five miles, but uh, pretty darn slow. And I, I, I swim four or five, sometimes six days a week. I and mean, yeah. I'm pretty crazy about strength training. So I do that real hard, mm-hmm. uh, at least twice or three times a week. So I still ex- I still exercise. <laughs> uh, the, the one caveat that I want to share with your listeners is that that long day, that long, you know, cumulative volume mm-hmm. can be. Detrimental physiologically, and I won't go into big, you know, the Dave Scott discussion on this, <laughs> but uh, it basically uh, can destroy your energy organelles, your mitochondria, and yeah. the mitochondria are, are, are what drives the molecule ATP, and that and and that really says, oh, I can go harder, or faster, or longer, sustain it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually was giving talks on this because I was aware of the uh, part arrhythmias that endurance athletes uh were the prevalence was was much much higher than the normal population if you were a multi-decade endurance athlete the door was wider open to get a heart arrhythmia wow and i started looking at looking at this and i said well this won't happen to me and every athlete that i've coached including christy and craig who i brought who brought up Mm -hmm. we did long days but i i met a a physician that was given a talk at the Ironman Medical Conference uh, two years ago. I had a heart arrhythmia prior to that. I had atrial flutter and atrial fibrillation, which are two common ones. And I had mentioned this because they wanted me to speak at the conference, and I, and I brought this up. I spoke to this physician. He was speaking at the conference as well. And one of the single veins that seems to be a precursor to the arrhythmias well, dehydration can be one. Uh, the, the the second one is how we go kind of hard and kind of long all the time. Yeah. And, and I'm not averse to having athletes, you know, do longer days, uh, even longer days during the competitive season. But where we get in trouble is. As we're building up, the, the mantra in this sport is, oh, I better put a long run, a long bike or a long brick on brick in every weekend. That's where athletes get in trouble because they're fit and the tendency to work harder and harder keeps going up. They go harder or someone in their group, if they've got a mate that's out there ready to race then that, that becomes, the, you know, the driving, the driving card. And what happens is your heart rate goes up to match the workload, but you're not getting the stroke volume, amount of blood that you pump per beat. Okay. And that stroke volume is really, really key. Stroke volume and heart rate equal your cardiac output, which is the amount of blood that you pump per, per minute. So your stroke volume is really lessened as you become more fit and you're doing endurance-like training. What is one of the key factors, um, and, and needs a lot more investigation, and, and I'm sure if you have any cardiologists, listening to this talk, they'll say, well, that hasn't really been proven, that's an unknown. But there is, and I'm referencing uh, this one physician from, from France uh, and, and others that have said that the long repetitive days don't bring up the stroke volume, this big perfusion of blood that you get like a bear is chasing you or you're doing a high intensity interval uh, repeat uh, is really favorable.
0: Okay. But
1: going long, long, long slow distance all the time or kind of hard is a wearing trait on your physiology it also produces this protein called a cytokine these cytokines are very inflammatory when you're doing segments of high intensity interval training uh, that elevates the favorable kind of cytokine called a myokine i know it sounds kind of technical uh, but what happens that microscopically looking at the mitochondria is that a lot of athletes that go into their 70.3 or Ironman race, and it's their last one, so their Super A race, they go longer, 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 and they wear their mitochondria down. So the density of them and the functionality of them is reduced. And microscopically, it looks like someone's taken a hammer to this beautiful oval. Yeah. And you look at a 10-year-old, and they're, and you can look at a 35-year-old who, ha, who has not done this because your mitochondria are, are, are turning over all the time. So, I, I'm really big on this because I had, I had an arrhythmia. I mm-hmm. had an ablation for the atrial flutter. They got rid of that, but I still had atrial fib. The second one that I had uh, to get rid of the fib, the electrophysiologist uh, came out, and I was under anesthesia for 10 hours. He said, well, you set another record. I was in your heart for seven hours, and I said, well, I want to set a record here. <laughs> so, um the big summary of your question, Billy. Really. <laughs> uh, I still train, but having these heart arrhythmias has really affected my capacity mm-hmm. to, to, my heart rate will elevate, but to come down off of that, and it, and it feels like I've got a um, uh, constrictive band around my whole body, particularly when I'm swimming and running. I can yeah. get away with and on the bike, but oh boy. Yeah. Some athletes that have had heart arrhythmias, and they have an ablation for atrial fibrillation come back, and they're good as gold. That's not the case with me. Gotcha. I still exercise because I need it. It makes me feel good, mm-hmm. even though I still want to catch that person in front of me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, that makes sense because um, there's some coaches here in Central Florida that will be training for the same distance that um, that I'm coaching, and their athletes are like, "Wait, you're only doing you know a two and a half or a three hour bike? I've got a six hour bike today, you know." And and, and it makes sense that the, the Ironman philosophy is something that you know we've gotten from you, so that makes total sense now.
1: Well, and again, I think there's a uh, I, I had these down periods, which I mentioned partly for psychological reasons so I was always kind of building up as I was getting closer uh, to July August September October and so I wasn't going eight months out of the year full tilt yeah and I wasn't fatigued going to that last little bit so I did longer days and I, my, I guess my final recommendation for your, your athletes and anyone else is that when you're fit and you're building up for that race you don't enhance your aerobic Uh, plumbing your capillary density go doesn't go up your red blood volume doesn't go up mitochondria as I mentioned are are wrecked you're fine doing a longer bike ride or a longer run but don't put them week to week to week yeah you know my suggestion is that maybe you have a couple uh, each month because it also you're you're training your your system mentally but also nutritionally on what, what your demands are and you're giving yourself an opportunity to recover from that day. And and the problem with the fit athlete is that they can clobber themselves on the weekend and say, oh, I got to get back on it on Monday, mm-hmm. and they're kind of decimated from the weekend. But yet, they're 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 told, I got to you know I've got to pick up my game. And and you know I've seen this many many years not racing in Kona, where athletes are just so flogged and fatigued before they get to the starting line. And, and where it unravels is generally not quite often, you, you won't see this necessarily in pace because the athlete hangs on or Watts or whatever you're looking at, but it falls off in the last quarter of the bike. And then when they get to the run, their, their, their run is shockingly bad. <laughs> and you're seeing athletes earlier in the year that might have a good Ironman or a good 70.3, but it's kind of caught up to them. Yeah. And I think this is the reasons why.
0: Dave Scott provides full service coaching and performance consultations for motivated triathletes of all abilities, from Ironman professionals to aspiring age groupers. Dave Scott will make you a faster triathlete. To find out more information, visit DaveScottInc.com and tell Dave you heard it in the we Do podcast. Proven results guaranteed. Well, let's lighten it up a little bit. And um, I found this out about you that you did... Your very first triathlon in san francisco way back and it was a nine mile bike and a four mile run and i couldn't believe the prize money for that race you want to share a little story about that that was crazy <laughs>
1: well this is before you were born but it was uh, 1976 yeah and um th- the sport didn't have a name it was just an event yeah and i was I was um, still in college. I was coaching a master's swim team that I had started in um, Davis, California. And I said, let's go down to this event. And it did start off with, there, it wasn't accurately measured. There were no aid stations. There were no police. There wasn't a transition area. you uh-huh. just bike on the ground. Uh, <laughs> it was around nine miles on the bike. There's no rules. Go through the intersections. At the time, the Embarcadero, which is a, a glorious, uh, uh, tourist tra- attraction was a real dilapidated area okay, and kind of a sketchy place to have a race. But we, we rode along the Embarcadero, big holes in the road, railroad tracks and, and, uh, roughly nine miles. And then the, the run was second. I wasn't going to do the run. I had a group of m- my athletes that I was coaching, including my sister, and I didn't really know anything about drafting. I told my sister she was a good at I said, "Just sit on my wheel. I, I know you can draft." And yeah, the gun went off. I just took off. You know, I could see these fast guys are all donned in their cycling gear, and I said, well, "I got to stay up with these guys." And I lost her, so I was going to sit out the run. But then I, I, and to this day, I'm not really sure. I, I was just kind of wearing you know tennis shoes or something, and I went. I put my bike down. This is T1. And I said, well, I am want to run. My knee feels okay. I, and I went over to my car, opened up the trunk, pulled out another set of shoes. I know I'd gone river rafting in those shoes, so they were hardly good running shoes, but I thought they were they were better for <laughs> running. So I, I went out on the chase on the run, and then the swim, this was in November, and of course, no wetsuits way back when. This is San Francisco Bay. Uh, mm. I, I, my recollection of the water was 56 or 57 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and... I I know there were three or four people, uh, three guys ahead of me. I saw one that was hanging on this chain that was the anchor of a ship moored in the Bay in aquatic cove. And I, he was kind of hanging on it. I thought, well, he's having trouble. But by then I was in my competitive zone and I sort of hollered at him without really wanting to hear his response. I thought, well, someone's going to pick him up and I kept going. So anyway, I, I won that, won that race. And, uh, we were all hypothermic afterwards. We had every stitch of clothes, on, clothes clothing on, and the race director's guy—I never forget his name—is Buck Swanick, And Buck Swanick was a Marine. He's standing out there in his little swim brief, like nothing. Uh-huh. Had. He race. and they got down to the end. I was the winner, and, mm-hmm. and they said, well, "We've got Dave Scott from Davis, California." And, and it was around Thanksgiving time, and so he sort of turns around. And he said, "Well, we, we've got this super prize for you," and it was a it was a frozen turkey. <laughs> so. He just sort of shot put it at me. And that was my first (laughs) triathlon award. Yeah. Got to do more of these. So quite a day.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, um, if we do have athletes from all walks of life, what piece of advice would you give someone who's either just starting out or new to the sport and and is interested in it? What, What kind of advice would you give them?
1: Uh, I'll say it's multi-layered. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's really helpful to get swim technique. If you don't have a swimming background to have a good technical coach advisor that can really work on your stroke, not, not, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel and and I have a, a, a lot of videos on, on swim technique, but having eyes on is really helpful. And also to have yourself videotaped. So, I think a lot of athletes have a tendency to always try to go slow. They're very, very methodical. They don't have good body position Their arms cross over in the front and, and swimming can be very frustrating. So you get, you get some refined technique, you know, that will really expedite your program. Uh, the, the second thing is that I think a lot of athletes overlook this is, is to, to be consistent with your schedule. So, and that sounds pretty simplistic, but you write down, what's reasonable each week and write down on each day what you can do mm-hmm. then put down the exact time that you're going to do it i, I always allow uh, on two of the days if you know you've got family things you have other obligations you have things that come up is there an alternative time so if you're a morning exercise person you say i gotta i'm gonna do my run at six doesn't happen Could you do it at 5 p.m.? So I I think it's important to have a written calendar. You put that in front of you because that that becomes kind of your your guide and you have a little bit of latitude and flexibility. And don't worry if you can't get it all in. You do that 20-minute rule that I mentioned (laughs) and you're going to feel a lot better. Um, And then the the third area, which I think a a lot of triathletes overlook and you can do a lot of home uh, exercises, is to work on – your range of motion, your mobility, and the mobility in the three key areas that that both genders have trouble, Now I'll say the men are generally by far the worse than, than the, their women counterparts, the shoulders or rotator cuff are really, really tight, so your range of motion quite often impedes your ability to perform well. The second area is the middle part of your back, your thoracic spine to get thoracic spine extension and also a little bit of rotation, which you actually you have a little bit in all the sports. And people will think, well, yeah, I'm rotating when I'm swimming. So that's recognizable. But your shoulders rotate when you run as well. And then the last one and they're all interlocked. We're not robots. So the last one is your hips Mm -hmm. and your hip mobility and your quad flexibility is, is really key. So mobility it generally general refers to your natural range of mo- motion. You have to apply a little more gentle force. Force is a tough word on those areas. It doesn't take much. Uh, and then increase your range of motion. Most athletes, and I, I see this with athletes in their 20s, they've lost the ability to get hip extension. And so they run with a real shuffle. Yeah. Uh, they don't have any knee flexion at all because they can't get their leg back. and 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 they're stiff in their body you see older folks and i can say older folks certainly in their 50s and 60s and my age Mm -hmm. decade 70s and 80s where they become internally rotated with their shoulders their head starts looking down Mm -hmm. and you you watch the elderly walk they're looking at the ground i say you know i have got a 96 year old dad and i said come on dad get your eyes up you're looking down (laughs) at your i don't know what you're looking down but look high yeah Uh, uh, so those three areas are, are really key. And and just the general strength area is, and I'll say a general strength program is really helpful. I, I've got a lot of videos on uh, using stretch cords. Those are great to use at yeah. home and develop a home program. And uh, so I, I'm kind of nutty about that as we talked about at the beginning <laughs> that. <laughs> it's kind of key that, that they do that. And, and, and maybe the last thing is don't run away from your weaknesses.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: if you you know, I hear a lot of people, Oh, I hate running, but I want to do a triathlon. I said, well, learn, learn to enjoy running. You know, you, there, there are days if you're not comparing yourself with the other athlete in your age group or, the, or your neighbor, mm-hmm. there's you have this fluidity, this easiness, and I think it's important to recognize the adjectives that describe that easiness within yourself because then you're going to start recognizing, you know, joy is a broad word, but you'll recognize the, you know, the, the beautiful feeling that you have doing all three.
0: And there you have part one the dave scott interview we'll pick right up next week as dave tells us more about his career and about the new dave scott triathlon club i want to thank dave scott for being on with us today and i want to thank our audience for listening if you've enjoyed today's podcast join us each week as we explore more of the cool things we do if you have comments or questions please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at we do Podcast, or check out our website at thewedopodcast.com. We'll see you next time on the we Do Podcast where we're always talking about the cool things we do.